Grace to you and peace in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of God the Father, in the name of the Holy Spirit who blesses us and comforts us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Today, uh, this morning, we reflect on the parable of the sower and the seed. That's the long title. And that's Jesus' lesson to us on the beauty and the necessity of the Word of God. We never do ourselves any favors when we treat the Scriptures like it is any less than the perfect and powerful Word that God speaks. The Word we hear is the same as the Word from which uh, God's mouth declares. It proceeds from the mouth of God and it comes into our ears and it happens to be through the medium of the sacred scriptures. And when that word of God sets out to do something, it does it. It accomplishes the purposes that God has sent it for. When God speaks, things happen. He speaks with authority. That's what our Old Testament reading is talking about when it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I propose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is the ultimate power and that it saves sinners from hell. There is no power in heaven or earth. There is no strength. There is no might. There is no wisdom in this world that supersedes the authoritative and powerful word of Jesus. When that word is spoken... Even if it's expressed in perfect weakness and meekness, it is true, it is effective, and it can change a person. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are sown into people's hearts so that they believe and they are forgiven through that life-giving word. It can draw a person out from unbelief to belief. It can draw a person out from despair into comfort. It can draw a person out from hell into heaven. It's the same as causing a dead man to wake up. Yet when we hear it, we're often deceived, we often fool ourselves into not thinking of our Bible and the proclaimed Word of God in that way. It's, It's maybe an example. It's like when a pastor is teaching the youth, and he says, all right, kids, let's open our Bibles. And the youth go, oh, and they sluggishly pick up their Bible, slap it on the desk, and open it up. The youth are sluggish. They view it as a punishment, but what should be happening? The youth should be rejoicing, which should happen every time we have the chance to open the Scriptures, which should happen every chance we have to read the Word of God. We should cheer. We should sing hymns of thanksgiving and praise. God has made himself known to us. But it can become routine. It can become hard. It can become tedious. And it ends up becoming a disciplined effort just to pick up that Bible, open it, and read a few routine verses every day. 
Not to mention, how are we to shape our lives concerning the fellowship and the learning of the Word of God in God's holy church? Well, getting up on Sunday to come to church, getting ourselves together, making sure everything's laid out the night before so the morning's not so stressful, showing up early so that we can attend Sunday school and and, uh, go to Bible class. These things sometimes seem like you're going to have to climb a mountain. Sometimes climbing mountains may be easier. Especially if you have children who do not always want to make this stuff easy for you. You may be eager, you may even be desperate sometimes to hear a sermon and grow in the grace of God. But the children, on the other hand, seem to have uh, their little intentions and they can be little devils determined to make the task harder than it needs to be. Anybody who has had parents in the, or been a parent with children in the pew knows this as that precious little toddler decides that the pew is now the perfect canvas for their next Crayola masterpiece and the school-aged kids want nothing other than to use their hymnals as sledgehammers and that little baby is determined to be wide awake and hungry every time there's a chance for you to hear something good. Yet they even need this saving word too. It's planted in their hearts. They receive it by faith. And to bring them to hear and to grow in the word is the greatest act of love that you can provide them. Yet all of it, all of it sometimes is hard. Sometimes it's contrary to our sinful flesh and our personal desires. And no matter how well we plan, no matter how much we discipline ourselves, there's always going to be distractions. There's always something that's going to make learning, reading, hearing, digesting, and growing in the Word of God hard. Children, finances, career, school, complacency, exhaustion, anxiety, plain laziness, and many other things are going to compete. They're going to distract. They're going to make the Word difficult or even unbearable to listen to. This is exactly what Jesus is warning us about in this parable today. He's teaching the disciples about the importance, the primacy of the word with his parable. He's teaching them about the danger of losing it as well. Because there is no life apart from it. The psalmist says, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. This isn't strictly a metaphorical thing. Give me life according to your word. There really are only two ways about it. You are either dead or alive. You're either spiritually living or you are spiritually not living. A person either has the word of life or they do not have that word of life. They either believe in the promises and the gifts of Christ or they don't believe in the promises and gifts of Christ. It is dead in trespasses and sins, or it is alive in Christ Jesus by faith in the gospel. There is no in-between. And that's what we see in the parable. You have the different soils that the seed is sown upon. You have the path, you have the rocky ground, you have the thorny, weedy soil, and you have the good soil. And each receives the same seed. The seed is the word, yet each yields a different result. Yet the first thing that we should notice is how reckless the sower is. He cast his seed everywhere. He doesn't discriminate whether the soil is good or the soil is bad. He will cast the seed all over the place. He is generous. 
That's exactly how Jesus is. He's generous with his word. He doesn't conceal it. He doesn't hide it. He declares it. He speaks it openly and publicly, and he doesn't deny it to any person. The gospel of the kingdom is to be preached to all people. All must hear it. And this is why Jesus sends out the apostles saying, go into the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, or go make disciples of all nations, is what we often memorize. The seed must be sown. The word must be taught. St. Paul talks about this in Romans 10. He says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. You see, a person cannot be saved apart from faith in the gospel of Christ. And a person cannot have faith in the gospel of Christ unless that word is preached. A person must hear that Jesus, God's son, has died for them. A person must hear that God has been merciful in delivering sinners from death and wrath and hell and welcoming them into eternal life. I know this sounds obvious, but I think it's easy to forget. Because you're not going to make anyone into a Christian without the word. And sometimes we Christians, we get so kind of blinded and we forget the word must be preached. It must be taught. It must be sown into people's hearts. And the church often then says, okay, let's do that. But then they create a bunch of different ministries that are meant to attract people to the Christian faith. And so there's all the singles ministries, the comfort dogs, the preschools, the day schools, the daycares, the quilting groups, the craft groups the book clubs, the community gardens, all these other things, these big programs that churches build. And while none of these things are bad, some of them are wonderful, some are not. But they in and of themselves will not make people into Christians. Sometimes people get so busy in the work of the ministry that they forget to actually preach the word. The word of God must be preached. That same thing goes for families. We cannot expect our children to grow up and to be fervent, faithful, virtuous Christians when they're starved of the word. Now they must be taught. The word must be proclaimed. Jesus gives us his word and he commands that it be preached and taught because that's what saves. The gospel of Christ must clearly be spoken to a person so that they know the grace of Christ. Without the gospel, there are no Christians. Without preaching, there is no faith. Even then, hearing the word, it's not a guarantee that a person will believe it and remain in it. We see this example with the seeds that fall upon the path, right? The word is preached, and those who hear it are hearers only. This is when a person is already captivated by something else, and their heart is already hardened to the word of God. It doesn't really matter for them. They don't believe in sin, or they don't see their need for a Savior. They hear it. They don't believe it. It's not important. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, To you, 
his disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, it remains in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus is actually quoting Isaiah 6. Here's the full passage. Right after Isaiah is called to his prophetic office, as God tells him, who shall I send? Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And then the Lord tells him what his ministry is going to be like. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and their blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and they hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then Isaiah says, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away from the land and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it's felled. The holy seed is its stump. See, what is God telling Isaiah to do? He's saying, preach even to those you know will reject it. God knew how hardened Israel was with its idolatry and its faithlessness. False prophets, idol worship, current events, war, and many other things had people's hearts so distracted that Isaiah was going to be easily ignored. And so it is with many preachers of the word that the word must still be preached. God is merciful. He'll not let the word perish from the face of the earth. And he desires us to hear and believe and be saved. That's what it says in 1 Timothy. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so what does God do? He sends Isaiah to preach. And now in our New Testament lesson here, Jesus sends out preachers too. First, he sends the apostles. And later he sends out pastors and they preach, they are to preach, even if it seems like the word is having no effect. The word is true, hearts may be hard, it doesn't matter. They are to preach. Martin Luther talks about this, he says, Every pious preacher, when he sees that things will not go forward, but seems to be growing worse, feel almost disgusted about his preaching, and yet he cannot dare to desist for the sake of even just a few elect. So even if people do not listen and refuse the Holy Spirit, the word still must be proclaimed. God's word must be heard. Even if no one's willing to listen and believe God, God will still raise up preachers. And that's because of how merciful God is. God desires his word to be proclaimed even to those whom he knows will reject it because he will continue to share it. Next two soils that are sowed upon do receive the word with joy. They quickly sprout, yet later, what happens? What sprouts withers away. These are the Christians who have heard the word. They believe it for a time, only to fall back into unbelief after being tested and tempted. We have the rocky soil, and we have the thorns, and the cause of the catastrophe is different, but the result is the same. A person once believed in the gospel, and now that person no longer believes in the gospel. They used to believe it, but now they don't. And why is this? Because in both cases, faith is scorched. It's choked by some sort of external circumstance. 
And so those on the rocky soil are those who really have the shallow faith. They're content remaining undeveloped and immature in their beliefs. And the result is that when their faith is challenged by suffering, by questioning, by difficulty of some sort, they fall away. They abandon it. It's just too much. The same can be said for the weeds. They, they hear the word and they believe it, but they have too many competing interests. There's too many things out in that world that are drawing their hearts and minds into too many diff different directions. And my faith can't get in the way of these things. And so when it becomes inconvenient to my career or my entertainment or my athletic pursuits or whatever else I want to pursue, it's quickly ditched. It's left behind because I want those other things so desperately. Both the rocky ground and the weeds serve as a warning for us. Because here we have the two examples of people who are supposedly safely in the kingdom of Christ falling out of the kingdom. And why? The truth, the purity, the preaching, the teaching, the growth, and the maturity of the word of God wasn't a priority. The forgiveness of sins the mercy of Jesus, the power of the cross to save sinners, the deliverance that we have from death and the devil, and the righteousness of Christ are neglected and forgotten for the sake of other things. Something else takes its place. Cultural ease, avoidance of pain or discomfort, personal idolatry, or whatever else we can conceive of. These ones failed to guard their hearts and their thinking, and their faith withered up. Some of them may have not even noticed. And this is the story of so many who are no longer in the church today. It's not that they were particularly offended by the gospel, or particularly offended by the church. It's that they simply stopped caring at some point. They didn't see the need for the gospel anymore because they found entertainment and joy or help or hope somewhere else. God's word stopped being convenient stopped being the highest priority and it was left behind and faith withered but human beings cannot exist without believing in something faith is actually hardwired into our very nature god made us to be creatures that believe in something and sin can turn the objects of our belief into something other than god and his word and so faith in the gospel of christ is non-existent but does that mean that a person is faithless no, it just means the gospel has been replaced with something else they would rather believe in. And that usually is something that's more convenient. And as the culture moves further and further away from the word of God, what becomes more convenient? Worship of self? Pride? A disembodied life that denies creation? And so you have people who were once Christians now advocating something completely opposite. And so you have evolution, sexual deviancy, political talking points, consumerism, entertainment, self-love. Those have become the religious gospels of our age. And why? They're easier to manipulate. They change with the culture. I can make them fit into whatever desire I want, and they're easy. They make no demands. They do not save. But that isn't really what matters to people. They want something that conforms to their desires. They want something that feeds their sinful flesh, and they can get that outside of the Word of God easily. 
But as the world changes around us and as people's desires change, some churches want to keep up, they condemn themselves by thinking that we need to cater to people's desires to keep the church alive. They abandon what gave them life in the first place. They start teaching and teaching what the world loves. They choose to cling to these false gospels with their empty promises. They preach acceptance of sin. They preach consumerism. They preach entertainment. They preach sexual deviancy. They preach political extremes. And they abandon the word because it just seems less important, less impactful, less needed than everything else. They too shrivel up. They may prosper in the eyes of the world. They might be the biggest churches in town, but they may also be spiritually dead. See, the gospel of Christ for the forgiveness of sins wasn't as significant as everything else. Jesus warns us. He says, you will know them by their fruit. Good soil bears good fruit. The seed that is sown on the good ground is the seed that takes root. It sprouts up. It produces Faith grows in our hearts as we grow in the word. And how is it that a person can be of good soil? You know, the good soil didn't choose to be better soil than the rocky soil or the path. Well, it's the word. The word does all the work. The change of heart, the work of repentance, the power to change thinking and behavior, the hope and the comfort and the dependence on the gospel of Jesus being crucified, dying, and rising for sinners, that's all done by the power of the word. Martin Luther muses about this when he thinks about all the things that happened in his life around the Reformation. He says, For the word created heaven and earth and all things. The word must do this thing, and not we, poor sinners. In short, I'll preach it. I'll teach it, I'll write it, but I will constrain no man by force, for faith must come without compulsion and freely. Take myself as an example. I opposed indulgences in the papists, but never with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote the word of God. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or I drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened all the opponents of the gospel, that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. God's word is what does the work. God's word tills and prepares the soil. His word of law is what breaks the ground, churns it up. That hard earth is cracked. It's broken. It's torn. All those old roots are ripped out of it. Those rocks are loosened and unearthed. The weeds and thorns are uprooted, torn apart, and buried. When the law is preached, and we hear of our sin, and we hear of God's impending judgment against all sins, all other competing ideologies fall apart. Because the Spirit of God convicts us through the preaching of God's law, and our hearts desire to know what can be done to save us. This is what happens with Peter when he preaches on Pentecost. He says, this Jesus, this God who has come into creation, who has come to be your Messiah and Redeemer, you crucified him. And now he's alive. And they look at each other and they look at Peter and say, brothers, what must we do? And what does Peter do? He gives them the gospel. He says, repent, be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God convicts us through the preaching of the law and our hearts desire to know what can be done 
to rescue us. And sometimes that means we experience suffering and discipline. Sometimes it means that we have to mess up our lives so much that we have no other place to flee than the mercy of God. And that's what the gospel of Jesus provides. It shows us the grace that God has towards poor sinners. As the Holy Spirit comforts and afflicts consciences, it's the precious word of God that does the work. That's the means that he uses. And that same precious word of God is what forgives sinners and declares that we are now members of God's heavenly kingdom. We see that great love that Jesus has for us who are completely unworthy of his cares. Jesus dies for sinners. And in his word of the gospel, that calls us to faith and also keeps us in the faith. And the only way that faith endures for penitent sinners is to be comforted. The only way that we are truly penitent is for us to know the full length and extent of our sins. And in this, we know how wonderful and extensive God's love is for us poor sinners because the word bears fruit in our lives. You have the word of God. You know the love of Christ. You can say, I am certainly loved by Jesus. And why? Because the word says so. And in that, the fruits of faith are worked in penitent sinners who rejoice in hearing the gospel of Jesus. And that's because the object of our faith is no longer rooted in ourselves. It's rooted in Jesus. Faith that is rooted in grace, in the love, and in the righteousness of Christ is going to bear the fruits of grace and love and righteousness. The seed that is planted is going to bear the fruit of the same kind. God's word is good, and it will bear good fruit. A tomato seed will not produce dandelions. Neither will nettles bring forth grapes. But Christ is planted in the hearts of men will produce Christians. His love will bring forth true good fruit that is demonstrated in God's word. His righteousness will bring righteousness. His love will bring love. His mercy will produce mercy. His quick to forgive nature will make you quick to forgive. John says we love because he first loved us. Dear Christians, if you are concerned about your faith, If you are concerned that you are not bearing fruit, if you think your fruit is not good, if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling in yourself, run to the Word of God. It has the power to save. It will nourish and it will strengthen weak faith. Be tilled by the law. It's good for us to know God's will. Be comforted by the gospel of Christ. Listen to the word as it's preached to you. Read it. Discipline yourself. Make time for it. And share it within your home. Because that word gives life. Hear it and live. Just as Jesus uh, tells the parable of the fig tree that isn't producing fruit. And the master of the orchard says, cut that tree down, it's doing us no good. But what's the servant say? First, let me dig a trench around it. Let me water it. 
Let me nourish it. Let me put fertilizer and manure around the roots. Let me till the soil. That's what Christ does in his word. Christ is good, and his word will accomplish what it sets out to do. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to cherish it. Cause us never to abandon it when it becomes inconvenient or difficult or hard to understand. And allow it to work in us so that it produces good fruit. Strengthen our faith through it. And cause us to live in the joy of the gospel. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.